present and real in our lives. And we ask today that you would speak to our hearts as we open the scripture together, Lord. May it come to life in our hearts and may it transform our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please open your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We'll be continuing our study through the book of Matthew today. Really looking just a few verses. Verses 13 through 16. Where Jesus talks about salt and light. You know, what if the purpose of your life is completely different than what you thought it was. You know, so often we think of life as some pursuit of happiness for ourselves, and and certainly that is a part of life. We seem to have that kind of ingrained in us, this pursuit of wanting to be accomplished, wanting to find purpose and happiness. But happiness in and of itself is not a purpose. No, it's rather the result of finding and fulfilling your purpose. That's where true fulfillment is discovered. And I want to say to you this morning that you have a divine calling and purpose for your life. Each and every one of you. You have been made and created by God for a very specific purpose that He has for you in the earth. And, you know, I know that we've come in today with all kinds of issues in life. All kinds of distractions, things that really cloud our our idea of purpose and fulfillment. We're just trying to get by. We're just trying to make it. You come in with challenges, maybe financially. Some of you looking for work, needing a job. Some of you hating your job and wanting a different job. There's issues in relationships, marriages, family, children. You know, and these things can weigh us down and really get us distracted and almost lose sight, lose focus on what's the real purpose of life. Why are we really here? You know, I know even for myself, I have kind of a a tendency to become, you know, discouraged. It seems to be kind of my natural personality and, and, you know, this melancholy view sometimes. You guys, how many of you remember the, the Winnie the Pooh series? Yeah. Do you remember Eeyore? <laughs> remember Eeyore the donkey? Oh, you know, just kind of sometimes I feel like that's, Lord, I'm, I'm acting like Eeyore. I'm downcast. I'm discouraged. Everything is negative. My wife, she's like Tigger, bouncing all over the place, happy and just, you know, upbeat. And just so you guys know, for us Eeyores, you Tiggers drive us crazy. <laughs> you guys are just over the top, and we're trying to really be serious. And, and then there's this lightheartedness. But I want to challenge your perspective today, because I, I really believe that even, even Christians oftentimes lose focus of why we're here. Why, why has the Lord created us, and, and for what purpose has He designed us? And why does he tarry? We know that Jesus has promised to return, but what's he waiting for? Why is he not come today? And he may come today. But the purpose, the reason that he delays is so that you and I might fulfill our purpose. And listen, your purpose is to know God and to glorify God in your life. And the reason Jesus delays is because he's giving opportunity for those that don't yet know him to come to know Him. So the purpose is that you would come to know God through Christ and those that do know Christ, that we might be useful to Him 
in this influencing of our world. Colossians 1 and verse 16, it tells us that for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Listen, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus has created us. We are made by him and we are made for him. Now, many other things rise up, many other ambitions and goals and distractions of life. And, and none of these are necessarily evil or wrong. Some, of course, are. But many are just good, natural, healthy goals in life. But they must be brought under the, the umbrella of knowing God and glorifying God in my life. This is the true purpose that we live. And Jesus' Sermon on the Mount... And what I think we'll see here today is he's going to speak about this this calling, this real purpose for his disciples. We remember that Jesus is speaking to his disciples, this Sermon on the Mount. And if you'll notice as we work our way through, and there's much more to come in this sermon, but you'll notice that the sermon kind of comes to us in chapters. seems that Jesus breaks uh, sections apart in this message. And today, we'll be kind of finishing this first section of Jesus' sermon. You'll know that, you'll remember we've been looking at the Beatitudes, where Jesus describes the character of the disciple and the blessings that come to the disciple of Christ. But also within the character, he has also spoken to us about the conflict, that persecution that rises up against the disciples of Christ. Jesus does not in any way leave these things uncovered. It's not like it would, you would be surprised when you recognize that the world is resisting the disciples of Christ. Jesus said that they will revile you. They will say all kinds of evil falsely against you for my sake. The world will not embrace and welcome the true disciple of Christ. But not only does he talk about the character of the disciple, the conflict, but here in verse 13 and 16, I really believe he identifies the calling. Here's why God has called you and asked you to remain in the earth. It is for his purpose to influence and impact the world around you for Christ. And you may feel like, well, that's, that's the pastor's job. That's for the professional ministers to impact and influence for Christ. Not according to this sermon. This sermon isn't, isn't given to pastors. It's given to disciples, all followers of Christ. And really, if you, know, if you notice, in, you don't need to turn, but in Ephesians, it says that the pastor's job is actually to equip the saints, that's all believers, for the work of ministry. There is a role for pastors and spiritual leaders, but primarily their role is to equip the rest to work and serve God in ministry, to influence your world, to go out and impact the world for Christ. This is your calling, church. This is your calling as a disciple. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. You may be the only Bible that some people will ever read. You may be the only witness that, any, that some will ever notice that God is real and that Christ is risen. Let's look together now. Pick it up with me in verse 13. After Jesus talks of the Beatitudes, he then says in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth. 
But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus speaks to his disciples about calling, about purpose, about the influence that we are to have in the world. The first observation we can make here is that he doesn't say these are the things that you need to strive to become. You need to try really hard to become salt. You need to try and work really diligently to become light. You are the salt. You are the light. Christ in you has so transformed and changed you that you are these things in the world. Once your life has been changed by the Lord and transformed and the, and the, and the real power of God is, is working on the inside of you, it, it cannot help but change and influence your world. I'm sure many of you, you noticed that as soon as you became a Christian. People noticed you different right away. And, and you trying to share your faith, they treated you differently right away. Sometimes it was welcome, sometimes it was resisted, but there's a difference. Jesus is not suggesting that you try to become these things. He's saying you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And the world is in a, in a, in a case of decay and darkness. And so salt has come to preserve and light has come to dispel the darkness. The world continues to go forward in sin and we are those salt and light bearers sent out into this decaying and dark world. You're not to to strive. You are to simply allow Christ in you to be salt and light. Let's think about these two similes that Jesus refers to. First of all, let's consider salt. Now, salt in Jesus' culture, of course, was a very valuable commodity. Different than, so, you know, in our, in our culture, because salt is something just very common. But in Jesus' culture, remember, there was no refrigeration, so they had no way to preserve their meats and their fish. Salt was used as a preserving agent against decay. Salt was something very precious. Uh, and in fact, some of the Roman soldiers, they would be paid in salt. That's the, that's the currency that they received their wage. You've probably heard of that saying, that guy's not worth his salt. And what that means is he's not worth what we're paying him because that was the way that some in the old days were paid. This, this salt was something of great value. And so certainly Jesus is communicating this concerning his disciples. You are of great value. You are of importance in the hand and life of God. Remember the Pharisees and the scribes of the day. Their teaching was clearly different than Jesus. They were talking about the law, talking about how to keep the Sabbath, the do's and don'ts, the rules, the regulations, how you might be able to live up to become something of value to God. And Jesus comes and says, Listen, you're the salt of the earth. 
you disciples, you followers, you are already valuable in that you are turning your hearts to God through faith in Christ. How many of you have seen the Disney movie Mulan? It's an animated Disney film. Now, I don't know why. Disney movies were just coming into my head this week for illustration. I normally don't do this, but listen, I want to... There's a scene in the movie Mulan that always just touches my heart. It reminds me so much of the prodigal son. You know, uh, speaking again of value and how important we are in the heart and mind of God, Mulan is this... um, this uh, daughter, a Chinese daughter of a, of a Chinese family, and she uh, she uh, imp- impressions herself as a man and joins the army to go and fight on behalf of her father who has been wounded in prior wars, so she doesn't want him to go fight. The family has to send someone. There is no son. She goes, disguises herself as a man, and enlists in the army. Well, she's found out to great shame to her, to her family, to her father. And, uh, you know, it's just this great reproach. She goes to honor her family, but instead brings great reproach. But in the meantime, she is also instrumental in a key victory over the enemy. And in going to the emperor, she then actually saves the emperor from an assassination plot. She becomes the hero. And the emperor honors her. He gives her his gold necklace. He gives her the sword of the defeated enemy. And he says, now when you go home, you tell your family what great honor has been bestowed upon you. And take these gifts as evidence of the great things that you have done for your country and the great honor that you have brought to your family. So Milan comes home with these gifts. And the the scene is her father is sitting there in the garden and just melancholy. He's downcast. His family name has been tarnished. But most of all, he doesn't know what's become of his daughter. She's been gone for months. He doesn't know if she's been killed in battle. He doesn't know what's happened. And in walks his daughter. And he rises, Mulan. And she's very humble, and she says, Oh, Dad, I'm so sorry, but look, here, I I know that I brought dishonor, but look, the emperor has honored our family. Look at these things that that have been given to us. Dad, I give these to you. These bring honor and and glory to our family name. And she bows before him, and, and the father takes these gifts, and he throws the gifts to the floor, and he drops to his knees, and he embraces Mulan, and he says, The greatest honor is having you for my daughter. And it just gets me every time I see it, you know. I, and and it, just, it just reminds me of that prodigal son, right? He comes home and he's just coming home from, a, from just having brought shame to his family. But his heart has been softened and he comes home and he's just hoping that his dad will give him some, some uh, job of a servant in his household. And the father is looking for him. And while he's still a long ways off, the father runs out and embraces him. My son who was lost is found. It speaks of value. You are the salt of the earth. You are the precious commodity in the earth, Christian. You are the bride of Christ. You have great value in the heart of God as his child. The greatest honor for God is that He would have us and know us as His children. And this is communicated in this simple phrase when Jesus says, You're the salt of the earth. And you may you know, feel like you're worthless today. 
you may feel like God would, would not even be interested in me. And maybe you're a believer and you wonder if He is. You're the salt of the earth, all the universe, all the earth. You're the precious commodity that God has His eye on. You are the apple of His eye. Child of God, He is intimately aware of your life and intimately focused and caring and loving because you are of precious, precious value to Him. Not only does salt, of course, signify value in the heart of God, but it really speaks, of course, of flavor. Salt is, even today, salt is that enhancing and bringing out the flavor within food. And so I believe the Christian is to bring the love and touch of Christ to those that we live around. We bring the flavor, if you will, to life. We bring the the essence of Christ where we go. The Apostle Paul spoke of it as a fragrance of Christ. We are the salt of the earth, valuable but also useful to the Lord. And God sends you out to flavor your family, to flavor your workplace. Now, not everybody wants the flavor of Christ, but there are some who are desperate for it. There are some that desperately need it. And listen, you are the messenger, you are the carrier, you are the salt bringer in a, in a time that it is desperately needed. And this salt, not only does it bring flavor, but of course, as I mentioned earlier, maybe its, its primary use in Jesus' day, it was, it was used as a preserving influence in the culture. And I think that salt today, in this sense, spiritually speaking, would have the same impact and influence in our culture. That we are to slow and prevent the decay of our time. Can you imagine? You, you see how things are going. You, you, you have to notice that things are changing in our culture. Not only our culture, but really in the world that there seems to be this, this darkness kind of growing and a, and, a, and a departure from just moral, uh, you know, absolutes and, and just decency. And imagine if all the Christians were removed from the culture. How much faster things would escalate. How much faster things would deteriorate. You are a preserving agent of salt in your culture. It's not always popular, but it is preserving. You remember Abraham interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. God said, I'm going to have to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham said, yeah, but, but what if there are a few righteous? And he whittled it all the way down. What if there are even ten righteous? And God said, if there are ten righteous in the city, I will not judge them. Even ten righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah could have preserved the city. Of course, there weren't even ten. There was just Lot and his family, and God opted to bring them out so that he could indeed judge the city. And so we do see as our nation, as our culture, moves away from God, away from those things of truth, we can anticipate that there is going to be consequence and even potential judgment upon us as a people. But we are the salt. We are delaying that, that inevitability. We are slowing that process down. If we are being salty, if we are being effective in our influence, it happens not only in the culture, but it happens even in our personal lives. Listen, in, in, uh, in marriage, Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 7, and he says, listen, if, there's just one, if just one of the spouses saved, 
And if the other is willing to live in peace with you in that marriage, you stay in that marriage. You, the one believer, bring influence into the home. You impact the children. And who knows, you may win your spouse to Christ. Stay there. Be an example. Be salt. Because you can preserve that household. And how many testimonies do we have of those that have come to faith because of a praying grandmother? We have a brother who's serving today on the mission field. He came to church with his uncle. His uncle was fading in, in health, but his uncle was a believer and he, had, he loved his uncle. And so he decided, I'll just come to church with you, uncle, to just kind of help you get in and out of church because I know it's important to you. He came to church. He got saved. Grew up in our church, got married in our church. We sent him out as a missionary. One good, salty uncle was able to influence a, a, a young man who had no other light or influence for Christ in his home. Your salt. Wherever you are, don't look at where you are as this horrible situation. Look rather as an opportunity to impact for Christ. This is your calling. You are the salt of the earth. It happens in marriage. It happens in family. It happens in the workplace. Listen, be salt in your workplace. Work hard. Be the best at what you do. Be the, be the one that's on time. Be the one that's diligent. Be different than the rest of the world. Salt is distinctive from the rest. Salt is tasteful. It's noticeable. It's preserving. It's unique. Be a hard worker. If you're a boss, be a fair and gracious boss. Do those things that would indicate you indeed are a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. But he gives a warning. He says, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, salt, by virtue of its own property, cannot become anything less than salt. Salt, if it's pure salt, it doesn't become unsalty. But in Jesus' time, they didn't have access to pure salt. Salt was often mixed in with other minerals and other elements. And, of course, through moisture, salt being more soluble, some of that salt could leak leak out of the of the of the of the product and you know it pretty much you'd end up because of dilution and and other additives you'd end up with something less than being salty enough to do the job and that's what Jesus is communicating here listen if the salt loses its saltiness what do you do with it you can't use it anymore they just would throw it out on the on the roadside you can't put it in the gardens you don't want to kill the plant you just put it out on the road and walk under it walk over it. And so Jesus is saying, listen, don't allow your life to become so diluted and polluted with other minerals, other things that, that the salt, you're still salt, but you're not salty enough to do the job. You're no longer useful to the master. And this can happen even in the life of believers. Second Timothy 2.21, it says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, talking about a, a purity and a, and a commitment to Christ, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. Listen, stay salty. Keep yourself distinguished from the world. You don't need to add some of the world so that you can kind of be relevant with the world. You're going to dilute your saltiness. You're not going to be useful to the Lord. You're saved, but you have no influence. 
It seems to me that there are even misguided Christians who, in an effort to be relevant and an effort to be winsome, I, I commend their motive, but their, their method is to kind of become like the world. They want to emulate and act like the world. To me, that's salt losing its saltiness. I'm not saying we go out and be obnoxious in the world. I'm saying we be who we are in Christ, the salt of the earth. We're not to be influenced by the world, but we are to be those that would influence the world for Christ. How do you do that? You keep your life close to Christ. You keep yourself led by the Spirit. You keep yourself active in worship and devotion and fellowship. You keep yourself uh, washed with the water of His Word. You remain ready and attentive spiritually, keeping yourself useful unto God as salt in the world. He also speaks of light. Again, I read from our text, verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Light, of course, is highly visible. In fact, we can't see anything without light. Our eyes actually just perceive light's reflected qualities. And light is to dispel darkness and to illuminate the darkness. He says that light is so visible that it cannot be hidden. He says, kind of like a city set on a hill. Now, the Sea of Galilee where Jesus was ministering, it sits down in a valley, and and rising up from this Sea of Galilee, and the sea is actually a very large lake, and as it, uh, rising up from its coast are these, on one side, mountains, the Golan Heights, on the other side, you know, just kind of rolling hills, but all the way up from its banks, there are there is hillside. And, you know, even today, if you travel to the Sea of Galilee and you're there at night and you stand on the shore as you look across the lake, of course, it's all black. The lake is just dark. But you see the hillsides because of the lights of the various cities across the lake. In fact, I put a little picture in our slide. I don't know how well that's, that's showing up, but this is looking across the lake. You can kind of see the lake's reflection, and then you see the hillside and all the lights as it goes up the hillside. Now, this is modern day, of course. There's electricity, a lot brighter, a lot more light. But even in Jesus' day, they had oil lamps. They lit their homes. They lit their streets. And Jesus is, is being very practical in his teaching here. Look, you guys know when you look across the lake, you can see the cities that are set up on the hills. In the same way, you are the light of the world. You cannot hide those cities. They are there and visible. And so the Christian is to be visible. We are to be seen in the world and noticed. Again, not by being obnoxious or quarrelsome or difficult, but by just simply being who God has created us to be in Christ. It's the result of a distinct contrast with the darkness surrounding us. If the light of the world, Jesus Christ, has made His home and taken up residence in your life, you are His disciple. You are His follower. You are a Christian, a little Christ. 
then surely the light of the world will shine and reflect off of your light. And the world, the darkness around you will take notice. And Jesus says, that's exactly what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be visible. And not only that, in the same way that you, when you light a lamp, you don't hide it under a basket. Oh, wow, he's burning bright as a Christian. We need to make sure that nobody sees or notices, and now let's cover it. No, you place it actually in a more conspicuous place that it might illuminate the entire room. And so our lives are to be seen by men. We are to be seen and noticed as Christians, as followers of Christ. We are to lead people to the truth of Jesus Christ. One of our ushers was sharing a testimony with me here last Sunday. He introduced me to a co-worker that he had known for like 20 plus, maybe even 30 plus years. And I got to meet him and he said, now this is the man that led me to Christ. He said, I've worked with him all these years and when I first started to work with him, I knew right away there was something different about this guy. And he says, as I worked with him, as I got to know him, he led me to Christ. Because he was letting his light shine in the workplace. And now many years later, they're friends. They're both serving and working and leading others to Christ. And so the Christian life is to be light-bearing. And we are to attract people through the salt. And we are to save them with the light. Don't put it under a basket. Don't look to hide your light. Oh, I'm a Christian. I just don't want anybody to know it. I don't want to bring it up at work. It's awkward. No, I can't talk about it in these circles. I'd rather just stay kind of low-key beneath the radar. Jesus, that's not the kind of discipleship Jesus knew about. You're the light of the world. You, are, you're the, you cannot be hidden. You're like a city set on a hill. Don't put it under a basket. Put it up. Let the light shine. Let your light so shine. He describes this light as, as good works. Now, we know from the Scriptures, works are not something that save. We do not do good works to earn credit and merit and salvation from God. We do not work to be saved, but listen, the saved do good works. You are light. You cannot be anything but a, an illuminating force for Christ if you are a true disciple of His. What kind of good works? I mean, what does letting your light shine look like? What does that mean in my, in my, my daily walk? Well, here's a couple of verses for you to consider. Philippians 2, verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Well, there's one for you. Stop complaining. Stop grumbling. Just stop acting like everybody else, and guess what? You'll shine, you'll stick out like a, like a light. That guy never complains. What's wrong with him? And they'll start complaining about you not complaining. You know, complaining is just kind of the, it seems to be just the state of our, yeah, it seems to be our right, yeah? Especially Americans, we have, we have rights. We're born to complain. Our country was birthed from complaint. I'm a complainer because I'm a, you know, I'm just, oh. Stop complaining and disputing. 
Eeyore. <laughs> you know, just an attitude that is cooperative, just a heart that is joyful, just a serving without complaint, without grumbling. You know, that's a light. That's definitely a light in your workplace. It can be a light in your family. It can be a light at church. You know, I'll never forget, we used to meet in a, in a facility that was, we borrowed from another church. And uh, they had but just one child care worker and helper. And this poor woman, she was definitely overworked. But boy, she let you know about it. As we would come down, and, and you know, I think she only had a couple kids that she had to watch. And we would have to kind of come in and move into the children care area. And boy, whoever was there to kind of make the transition, oh, you got an earful. Oh, this church, they don't appreciate me. I'm down here working with these kids. You can't believe what I have to deal with at this church. Oh, my goodness, my gracious. I thought, wow, I hope she doesn't start coming to our church. <laughs> now, you know what? I thought, listen, you know, her, you know, she was probably needed help. And probably some of what she was saying was legitimate, but boy, it wasn't shining as a light. Serve with joy. Or, or guess what? Don't serve. If you can't do it with joy, if it isn't unto God, it, what good is it? God's, God loves a cheerful giver. God's not interested in your grumbling service to Him. Oh, so much work to do at this place. Oh, I hope He appreciates it. I hope the pastor sees it. I hope somebody notices. We need more helpers. We need more work. You know, I, I've heard some of that. My goodness, we have got a lot of work going on at this church. We had a great harvest outreach night. We had a moving day yesterday, and I, I gotta be—I gotta tell you—I was blessed to serve alongside all of you that came to help. There was a joy, there was a team spirit, there was ministry that took place on Friday night. People came to faith in Christ. Uh, eight people gave their life to Christ on Friday night. Not to mention all the fun and, and, you know, family, just great time that the kids have. But, you know, if just one had come to Christ, it would have been worth it. You know what? Even if none had come, if we just had a chance to plant the seed, it was a lot of work. It was our last opportunity on the campus to do it. But, you know, I thank God that we had that opportunity to go out that way in that community, to bless the families, to bless the community, to let our light shine, to share the gospel. And for all those that served, all those that helped, listen, you're part of that work, part of that kingdom work. And I encourage you to do it with joy and to do it without complaining and disputing that you might shine as lights in the world. Another verse that speaks to our shining as lights in the world, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 9, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Part of letting your light shine is learning to walk in the love of Christ. Learning to allow the fruit of love to be seen and witnessed in your life. Now, that's not something you can work up. That's not something you can manufacture. I'm going to just love today, no matter what. You try that. See how it works. It's got to come from the grace of God in your life. Jesus didn't say, you know, work hard to be light. He said, you are light. And John says this, look, 
If you hate your brother, you're just not in the light. You're still living in darkness. You need to love your brother because those that love the brother are those that are abiding, living, staying continually in the light of God, in the light of Christ, the true light of the world. And then that light reflects the love of Christ through you, allows you and gives you the grace and power to walk in love toward one another. It is clearly a a demonstration of light as we walk in love. Final example here, and there are others, but just giving you a few to consider this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, look, the light of God has so shown into our hearts that we now preach the gospel of light to those that will receive it. Part of letting your light shine is preaching the gospel, sharing Christ. Paul said it came into our hearts, and so now we give the light. How do we do it? By giving the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We share Christ. We tell people about Jesus. This is how we shine our lights. Oh, that's not a good idea, Pastor. That's, yeah, that can get you into trouble. That can, that can cause a lot of upset family. You never talk about politics and religion. You just don't do it. It's better just to keep it to yourself. Enjoy it for you and your own. But don't share those things. Don't talk out loud about Jesus. Listen, that's not the kind of disciple Jesus understood that he was developing. Jesus said, you're, you're the light of the world. And what? Let your light so shine. The truth is, not everyone will like it. He's already warned you, you're going to be persecuted. It almost seems like Jesus would be saying, now because they're going to persecute you, keep your light under a bushel. But he says, no, look, they're going to persecute you, but let your light shine. Because, yes, some will persecute, but some will see and glorify your Father in heaven. Some will see, some will hear, some will come to the light, and some will be saved. Listen, you got saved because somebody's light shone into your life. It was the light of Christ, but it it was reflected off of someone. Someone invited you, someone shared with you, someone witnessed to you, someone got you to hear the light of Christ, the glory of God, and you came to faith. It's how it works. You know this. As Christians, we can't, we can't hibernate. Oh, the culture is getting so dark. We just need to insulate ourselves even more. Now, clearly there are th- some things within the world that we cannot participate in. But we must continue to go out and be salt and be light. We are the light bearers. If people at work are going to get saved, you may be their only chance. If people in the family that you're waiting on to come to Christ, you may be the only light they'll see. You've got to live it. You've got to speak it. You've got to pray it. You've got to intercede. You've got to be active in that which God has called you to do. This is your purpose. Listen, the reason Jesus hasn't returned is because he's, he's delaying his return so that those who don't know him can come to faith. 
And you and I are here for such a time as this. This is your mission. This is your calling. Now, I know there are a lot of other things and goals in life. And again, those are not bad things. But don't let them compete for the salt and the light that you're called to be in, in your day, in your generation. And he says that when the light shines, they will glorify your Father in heaven. You're, you're not to bring glory to yourself. You're not to bring attention to yourself. You're not to try to appear super spiritual and religious and, and promoted of men. You're to point people to a loving Father who sent His only Son that the world might be saved. You are to be that testimony of Christ in your generation. And that's our call, church. That's why we gather. That's why we're here. That's why He waits for us. That's why we wait for Him. Because there are still those that need to hear. Aren't you glad that the eight that came to faith on Friday night were able to get into the family of God before Christ returned? And so there are more today that I pray God will touch and and bring into the kingdom. But how I pray that He will employ us all in the work of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for this message of salt and light. It is interesting, Lord, Your timing. This Tuesday is our opportunity to be active as citizens and to vote a biblical conscience. So many issues, Lord, some confusing, so many candidates, Lord, but help us not to be driven purely by, by financial or, or political um, opinions. But Lord, help us to be motivated by, by our Christian heritage and values. And I pray, Lord, that we would be salt and light in this election cycle. And I pray that we would be salt and light, Lord, wherever you have placed us. Each and every one of us is a missionary. Each and every one of us is a salt and light bearer to those that you have placed us around. And I pray that you would empower us, that you would would equip us. It's not something we can do in our own strength. And that's why you said this is not something you become. This is something that you are. Abide in the light. Stay close to Jesus. And these things will manifest in and through your life. And as our heads are bowed here today and we close, I do want to give opportunity if there's anyone here today, you need to come to faith in Christ. Maybe you've never received this love and this forgiveness that God has for you. I pray you heard in in your heart today how precious and valuable you are to the Lord. And how He desires to save your life and give it purpose and meaning. To forgive you of your sin. To reconcile you to Himself. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Come humbly and broken before Him. Let Him embrace you today as you put your faith and trust in Christ and what He did for you at the cross. I'd love to pray for you if you're here and looking to receive Christ today. Maybe you need to come back to the Lord. Like that prodigal son, you've been away from God. You've been actually, maybe you've even brought reproach to His name. But today, the Lord is calling you home and saying, come back. Come back and let me embrace you afresh and anew and forgive you and cleanse you.
you and reestablish you in the kingdom. Maybe you need to rededicate, recommit your life to Jesus. I'd love to pray for you too. So if you're here today and you want to receive Christ for the very first time, or you want to rededicate, recommit your life to Him, would you simply raise your hand where you're seated? Let me see you. And I'll pray for you. I bless you in the center. Any others, Lord, ministering to your heart? Besides this one individual, the Lord speaking to you. You need the Lord. You need to come back. To Just before I pray, anyone else? The Lord touched your heart. You want to be prayed for. You see your hand. as the Father ran off, ran out to greet and embrace this returning Son. Lord, if there are believers returning to you today, God, that you would embrace them, that you would cleanse them, that you would put your robe upon them, and, and Lord, that they could celebrate with you this day of recommitment and rededication. And for those that may be coming for the very first time, God, that you would cleanse them bring new life within, Lord, the, the light of the world moving into their heart, to dispel the darkness, to cleanse them from sin, and to use and employ their life in the purpose of the kingdom, for your glory and for your honor. Lord, we thank you for this time, this season, for studying your word together. We ask your continued blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.